ಶಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಎನಿಬಡಿ ಎನಿ ಕ್ವಶನ್ಸ್ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ವೀಕ್ ಫಾರ್ ಎನಿ ವೀಕ್ ಹೂ ವಾಸ್ ಅಂಟ್ ಹೇರ್ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ವೀಕ್ ಒನ್ ಟು ಓಕೆ ಸೊ ವಿಲ್ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಅ ಕ್ವಿಕ್ ರೀಕ್ಯಾಪ್ um ravi kindly put this on the class so i'll quickly explain that yeah in a second so we've just started this book fall of the human intellect now as i said to the group last week a lot of the concepts we may have already covered um but we're just going to go over them so we're not actually going to read the book i'm going to just give a synopsis of each topic and there's any misunderstanding just ask and whoever's got the book can read it um i'll tell you what we're covering each chapter so we covered what chapters 1 and 2 last week they're quite small chapters um and today we're going to cover chapter 3 so you could read it in your own time afterwards yeah but we're not going to actually go through the process of reading it so last week it covered just a few basic things which most people here are aware of um so Okay. Was anyone else coming? Sorry. So we quick recap from uh, last week. and everyone will be up to scratch so human is made up of mind body intellect and spirit so we said that we agreed that the world is a wonderful place it's got everything that a human needs but we're still not content and the reason for this is because undeveloped intellect we're not thinking we let the mind conduct our lives and this is the problem we let our lives be governed by the mind's desires and attachment selfishness lust greed rather than the intellect's reason and judgment so therefore what should be heaven which is this world it becomes hell for us sometimes meaning we're agitated not happy we're designed to be happy all the time and the reason why we're not is due to the mind's selfishness this has caused agitations in humans so unless you develop your intellect and let that conduct your actions you'll always be agitated that's why we need new experiences all the time to keep us happy we think if we get that we'll be happy If I go on this holiday I'll be happy. If I get this car I'll be happy. If I marry this late person I'll be happy. What happens is that when we do that we're not happy now 
we're, we're projecting our happiness in the future. If I get that, I'll be happy. So what about now? What about everything you've got at the moment? See, even when you get that, it'll only be temporary. Then your mind will pitch up something else because the mind is insatiable. Just remember that. My mind is insatiable. It will never be content no matter what I have. Just remember that as a statement. So don't project your happiness for the future. Be happy today. Then whatever you aim to get, whatever you desire, get that. And then be happy with that as well. But never be not happy now with what you have. So if we, need to, if we want to get permanent happiness, we need to understand who we are, how we function. And that's where this diagram came in. Who wants to uh, go through it with me? Who can explain that? From last week, who was here last week? Phil? Ravi? Okay. Self, we all know. Spirit, the enlivening factor. Just like how electricity enlivens gadgets, the self enlivens us. We call spirit, Atman, Brahman, God principle. That's the self. Without that, nothing exists. Then we have Vasnas. Who can tell me what Vasnas is? Desires. Vasnas manifest as desires. You're absolutely right. But what would be the better uh, description of Vasnas? DNA. DNA. Hmm? Personality. Unmanifest desires. Unmanifest desires. Person's inherent nature. Tendency. His fragrance. What makes him him? Unmanifest thoughts, desires, which is different in all human beings. So a person's behavior, his thoughts, feelings, his actions is all based on his vasanas. If you have negative vasanas, you'll, you'll only see negative in the world. Good vasanas, you'll see good in the world. You can't help but be a victim of your vasanas. You see someone behaving badly, or um, you know, criminals, they do murder, they steal. You have to understand, he can't, or she can't help themselves. That's their vasanas. They're a victim of their vasanas. That manifests as that. All you can do is feel sorry for them. We all have negative vasanas. Yeah, but they may not be as bad as theirs. But we all have negative tendencies. We reevaluate ourselves. So the self plus vasanas creates the human being. Human being, you. So the next stage is what? What is a human being made of? We said in the beginning of the class. Body, mind, intellect. So the body, if you break it down, organs of perception becomes the perceiver. Sense object. So with the organs of perception, which is the sight, ears, smell, taste, touch. We perceive the world, sense objects. And then we react with the organs of actions, which is called the actor. We, do, we perform actions. Organs of actions are? Hands. Hands. Speech. speech yeah. Taste, excretion, generation, 
Those are organs of action. This becomes the physical personality. This is our physical personality. Next is the mind. We call the feeler. Mind has emotions, emotional personality. You see someone behaving in a certain way, you say, he's an emotional person. His mind is strong, he's an emotional, he's got a stronger emotional personality. Then you have the intellect, the capacity to think. Here we've divided into two, the gross intellect, thinker, thoughts of world. The in gross intellect thinks of the world. That's his intellectual personality. We say, oh, this person is very intellectual, very strong gross intellect. And then we have the subtle intellect, the contemplator. He thinks of, he, he can think of the reality, thoughts of God. This is the spiritual personality. So this is a human being. Every single person is made up of that. Any questions on the diagram? Is it quite self-explanatory? So this is how you function. It's good to keep that in your background because um, whatever we're studying, this is a useful marker to know, to remember. So the body in living by the self becomes the physical personality. The mind in living by the self becomes the emotional personality. The intellect in living by the self becomes the intellectual personality. And this is who we are. Next, that was chapter one. Chapter two, we discuss the history of human development. Just very briefly, uh, whoever's got the book can read it. It shows that we went through five stages of growth from the Stone Age to now. In the earlier time, in the Stone Age, people just, it's called the age of perception. People just looked, gazed, no reaction. Then came the age of observation. People started thinking, oh, a black cat goes by, or you go under a ladder or something, and you think, oh, my business meeting didn't go well. It must have been for that. So, age of superstition. Then came age of scientific inquiry, where the scientists started understanding how the world functions, cause and effect. What came first, chicken or the egg? They started asking questions. It's age of scientific inquiry. Then the last stage, age of contemplation, where we're now thinking, what is this world? Where have we come from? Who is God? And the present era right now, we have people following all four. There are people who are still superstitious, people who still don't react to the world, people inquiry. So there's all sorts of people in the world right now. People become, choose, an, choose a religion even without thinking. I'm a Hindu, Muslim, Christian, and then they kill, fight for their religion, but they don't even understand what religion is. So this is the stage. That's where we were. Any questions from last week? And as I said, one in chapter one and two is what we covered.
feel free to read it. And that was a synopsis. So we're all now uh, up to scratch. So vasanas are your inherent nature, um, unmanifest desires. So we have no way of recognizing, understanding or changing our vasanas. We can only change our desires. We can't, or can we change something that's unmanifest? Um, you can. Okay. So you can change your tendencies, inherent nature, and you can on something that's unmanifest. You can. How? When you get okay, the ultimate stage of self-realization. Yeah, this is what we've said. When you're when you have this vasanas, in this lifetime you have a certain X amount of vasanas, okay, which are manifesting in this lifetime. When you pass, this body is no, it becomes old and you no longer can um, exhaust any more vasanas, you your body dies and you take on another body and a new lot of vasanas. There's lots of vasanas waiting for you. Takes on a new body to exhaust. But self-realization, Exhaust all vasanas, the vasanas you have now and the vasanas you've got collective waiting. That's why there is no more reincarnation. Now you might say, well, how? Right now we can't do that because we don't know how to. With understanding, with knowledge, spiritual knowledge, it teaches you how to exhaust all your vasanas. It's called, it's through self-effort. You understand your vas you are made up of these vasanas. You understand they manifest. Through self-effort, you can exhaust them by taking on higher values, by controlling your desires, by exhausting your desires, current desires. That's how you can get rid of all your vasanas. But it's something that's in the Bhagavad Gita way beyond. So we don't want to go into too detail, but just take it as you can exhaust all your vasanas in this lifetime. Only a human being can do that. Is that okay? Can't go into detail of how, right, in this class, but just take it as yes, you can. That's what self-realization is, exhausting all your vasanas. The only vasanas you can't exhaust is what's remaining. So when you reach self-realization, whatever vasanas are remaining of this lifetime, you have to exhaust through experience. But everything else you can exhaust. Another example, if a car's going at 70 miles an hour, okay, you run out of petrol, the car is not suddenly going to stop. It will still roll on for a couple of miles. Similarly, the vasanas will propel your actions in this lifetime. Even if you've exhausted all your vasanas, what you're born with, you still have to exhaust in this lifetime. And then that's it. That's the, that's the analogy given in the Gita. Sounds a question? So basically you can't change your inherent, inherent I suppose my question stems from, for example, you said somebody who is of a, 
um, nature that's not kind, compassionate, nice, or whatever, however we term that, will almost not be given an opportunity to overthink because of their inherent nature of being in those tendencies. How can they think of... I mean, I don't know. Is it just nice people that can think of... No, not so. A, person, a nice person can become bad. A bad person can become nice. You don't know how your vasanas manifests. You don't know what vasanas you have. But you can be aware of them. Okay, I'm made up of this. This is my nature. Later on, there is um, where you do a personality chart, your own personality chart. It shows you how to do it. Okay, then you can see, well, I'm quite a lazy person. I want to change that. I want to become an active person. You're aware of your laziness. That's a start. Only then you can work on it, isn't it? If you don't think you're lazy in the first place, how are you going to work on it? Similarly, you can say, you know, it's saying that uh, my desires are manifesting all the time. I seem to be agitated all the time. I now understand my mind is insatiable. Why am I entertaining my desires? Knowledge. Now you understand how your desires function. So you can put in the effort to grow and develop. It's all in your hands. This is where this knowledge comes in. In fact, we're going to cover a little bit of it today um, as to how and why. So this, what she, what she asked about vasanas, it's quite deep and I wouldn't have done it justice by just covering it in a very simple way. So chapter three we're doing now, it's called Plant, Animal and Human. So we study, so what we, what we said was for us to develop spiritually, we have to understand who we are right now, how we function, and this is what we're doing now. What makes us tick? Only if we understand what makes us function, we can change and develop, isn't it? Yeah. For example, this is telling us how we function, so we can work in certain areas to develop. So in, in the world, there are plants, there's animals and humans. What makes us different? Human. Okay, that's good. We can express ourselves. Animal can express itself. We know wrong from right. We know wrong from right. Casper knows wrong from right sometimes, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what makes us different? Knowledge of self. Knowledge of self. Ultimately, that is correct. So, can you do the diagram for me? Senses? More gross than that. You can see I didn't do the first diagram. <laughs> this was something very quick I did this morning. So who wants to uh, read that? Rishi? So plant, animal and human have all bodies. Plants don't have minds, but animals do. But then their intellect doesn't extend to knowledge of their own self. Absolutely. As Rishi has said, clearly, plants only have a body, no mind, no intellect. Animal has a body, mind, and a partial intellect, but no subtle intellect. Subtle intellect, we, 
we can question what's God. Animal can't do that. A human being has all four. He may not be aware of it, but he has all four. Yeah. So that's the difference between the three. Plant has only body, no mind to feel emotions or intellect to think. They just exist, giving flowers, fragrance, to look beautiful, fruits. They cannot react to the world. A plant can be one meter away from water and still die due to lack of water. It cannot move, it's just stuck there. Animals have body and mind, only partial basic intellect, no subtle intellect to think of God. They have likes and dislikes. They are able to recognize their master and other people, bad people, danger, time to eat, when it's time to sleep. Plants and animals cannot conceive beyond the world. They cannot think of God, as you rightly said, because lack of subtle intellect. Only a human has a subtle intellect which allows him to conceive beyond the world and think of God, of who am I? Who made me? What happens after death? Who created this beautiful world? So if you think only at the level of the body, then you're living a life like a plant. If you think only at the level of the body and mind, then you're living just like a animal. And most people are living this way. I don't mean that we are animals. What I mean is that you're not living to your capacity, using all your faculty. It's like you have two arms, but you do everything with one hand tied behind your back. This is how we're living. A human is supposed to achieve something higher, not live this mundane life. It's no different from an animal. An animal can live without an intellect and survives, but we're, you know, we're better than that. We just don't know how to function. That's the problem. Also, animals, so... We're now going to discuss how the species function, yeah? Individual species. Any questions on the, what I've just covered up to now about plants, animals, and humans? It's okay. Talking about vasanas now, yeah? Animals have we, what we call a collective vasana, collective nature. What does that mean? Animals have a collective nature, collective vasana. Sorry, Nala? Wrong. Collective vasana. Each of them all. All dogs behave in a similar way. All sheep behave in a similar way. They work, they have the same nature. All dogs have the same nature. All lions have the same nature. They're all ferocious. All cows are mild and meek, so they have a collective vasana. You would approach a lamb, you wouldn't approach a tiger, would you? Because you know tiger's ferocious, might bite my hand off. A lamb, you know it's all lamb are mild and calm. So they have a collective nature. So each species are programmed in the same way to live life. A lion is ferocious and eats meat, a carnivore. Cow is mild and tame and eats plants, herbivore. They all have a built-in program to function in the same way. They cannot change that. A lion can't wake up one morning and decide, 
Why am I killing all these animals? I should become a vegetarian. Huh? A lion can't do that. Or a herbivore can't decide to become a carnivore. They're just not made that way. They're, their vasanas dictate that they are a herbivore. So the vasanas of a particular group of animals determine their behavior, habits, character, their nature, and they can't change that. So how does a human different? How is a human different from that? How are diff humans different from animals? Correct. Every human has a different vasanas, individual vasanas, compared to animals who have a collective vasana. So what does this mean? We can change our vasanas. Huh? We can change our vastness. We can change our vastness. That's someone who understands. What? But more gross than that. What does that? What does? Uh, everyone has their individual vastness. What does that mean? Everyone's unique. Everyone behaves differently. No two humans have the same nature. Even twins. Same upbringing, same parents, same everything. Different nature. Different vastness. There could be a lion in humans, a hyena in a human being, a snake, a chicken, tiger. All different humans have different natures. So, every human behaves based on his vastness, his own behavioral pattern. So where you would treat all lions in the same way, all sheep in the same way, all humans have to be treated differently. That's very important to understand. See, if you understand that concept, your attitude when you deal with people will change. And what we tend to do is we project our own personality, thinking the other person must be like me. We can't understand that they behave differently. We could be a lamb, an, a, a, a sheep. Our nature could be mild and meek and calm. But we don't know we're dealing with a hyena. We have to be careful. We have to be aware. This is how humans are. This is how life is. Everyone is different. If we're very, very selfish, have evil tendencies. We think every single person is like that. We don't trust anyone. We project our own personality in the other person. What's that in the Mahabharat? So, Duryodhan and Yudhishthira. So Krishna asks Duryodhan, he's the bad one, right? I forget my, I'm not very good at names. Krishna Duryodhan, go into the world and find me a good person. Yeah, Duryodhana was bad. And he asked Yudhishthira, Yudhishthira, go and find, go in the world and find me a bad person. So they both went, came back. And Duryodhana said, you know, I've been everywhere, but I can't find a single good person. Everyone is bad. And Yudhishthira came and said, 
everyone is good. I cannot find any evil person in the whole world. So therefore, they, you, you project your own personality in the opposite person. We think everyone is like that. We have to be aware everyone is not like that. See, even Arjuna thought his cousins were all good. He didn't want to fight. Krishna had to come and educate him. You know, look what they're doing. Evil is taking over the, the land. You have to bring back goodness in this land. You have to fight him. And you have to persuade him to fight him. But Arjuna said, how can I kill my own uncles and cousins and everyone? I can't do that because he was a good person. He can't think of killing anyone. So Krishna had to persuade him. God had to persuade him to fight <laughs> and kill. So in life, we have to be careful who we're dealing with. Think, what is his nature? Now you know, there's no the reason not to. Before you're ignorant, that's fine. So the next topic, any questions on that? See, that's because you've now decided everyone is bad. <laughs> yeah, you come across one person's bad, now you just, now understood everything, you think everyone's bad. So you have to, so now you know everyone's personality is different. So be in a position to judge uh, uh, with whatever limit uh, uh, knowledge you have to able to work, you know, find out what's this person like. Yeah, yeah. Don't just think, oh, this guy is talking nicely, he must be a good person. You know, think about it. You can think that, he, you know, be cautious, this is what we're saying, until you understand his personality. Because if you make the mistake, it could ruin the whole rest of your life. Wrong judgment, it could ruin your whole life. You know, to the extreme. So we have to be careful. Now you know, you have no reason not to. Before when you're ignorant, fair enough, you made a mistake. Even marriage, for example, how are we choosing the right partner? So we have to understand, I could be marrying a lion. <laughs> It's a possibility. <laughs> Rishi, I'm talking to the people who are not married, by the way. <laughs> we already made that commitment. <laughs> we have to live with it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so the next topic is, was that okay? Did I answer your question? Yeah, good. Not necessarily trust. You, you need to be. Not 
you know, just now, it's better not. Just now, it's better not to trust them, and then build your trust, than trust them, <laughs> and then be you know be stung by it. So it's better to be cautious and then, you know. No, no. What we're saying is just be aware that pe everyone is different. That's all we're saying. Be aware that everyone is different. We're not saying, oh, I ain't trusting you. I don't know what your nature is like. You know, let me get to know you for a couple of months and then I'll decide. We're not saying that. We're just saying, you know, in certain situations, like if you're thinking of marriage or something, then you may have to really like think, is this because it's a big commitment? But if it's someone passing by or friend at work or something like that, then it's a, you know, you can take certain risks and um, understand, well, this person's like this, so I'll just need to be a bit cautious, you know? You know but long commitments, you need to be more careful. So don't be cynical. Just be aware. <laughs> you have the power to change that person. <laughs> well, at least you're aware. Now you're aware. I'm living with a cynical person. Now your relationship will change. You know that person's cynical. But they they won't. Oh, they'll only do so when they're ready to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Their vasanas are manifesting. There's nothing anyone can do. To make fun, jumping um, to another topic here, but where does cause and effect come into vasanas and things? Because right now we're talking about um, coming across individuals who have or have not. Um, being trustworthy because of them doing something to you or whatever. But there's that aspect of cause and effect where you think, well, did I do something to in fact have happened what's happened? I don't know if I'm making sense. No, you're not. You think you're um, being trustworthy Yeah, it's almost like you've set things in motion by having by doing something, and of course. Are you talking about your your own cause and effect or somebody else's? My own. Your own. Within vasanas. Yeah. Yeah. So where does that? Okay. Because right now, I don't know whether the vasanas are causing my cause to then have the effect later. See, right now you're living in the present. The effect of whatever cause, whatever actions you've put in the past, you're living today. Yeah. Does everyone understand cause and effect? We sort of touched on it. What you reap, you sow, basically, yeah, in a nutshell. Whatever actions, good or bad, you've done, you're now reaping the benefits today. Okay. If you're in a bad state, it's because you've done bad actions in the past, and this is why you're in this state today. If you're in a good state, it's because good karma, you've done good work in the past, hence you're now in a good position. So right now, we can't change what we're feeling today, but we have the ability to change the future, okay, by putting in the right action today. So whatever you're feeling today, whatever you're experiencing today, is because of whatever cause you put in the past. 
Yeah, but I'm talking about cause and effect as in the terms of vasanas, because is it that the vasanas that I've got inherent tendencies, my personality, mm -hmm. will enable me or unenable me to act in a particular way. So, for example, if I've got mean tendencies, mm -hmm. I'm then putting in, I'm sowing seeds of meanness in the world. Okay, that in essence is going to have an effect later on. Absolutely. You are your nature based on your vasanas. Okay. Until now, okay, people outside this room, outside, don't know that. Okay. So they're just, they're just acting based on their nature. As they manifest, they act. You are now aware that my vasanas can be negative and positive. I'm trying to change my vasanas to become positive. So therefore, if negative tendencies come up, I will not act upon them. I will change them to positive. Okay, if I'm being mean today, I know that I, it will affect me in the future. Therefore, I need to work on my personality and not act upon that. It's, your, it's up to you. Vasanas will manifest as a desire. Okay, I want to be mean to that person. If you act on it or not, that's up to you. And why, how would you act or not act on it? Brings us to the next topic. Dilemma of choice. Yeah, this is what we're covering next. What do you act on? Okay, you've just had a mean idea. I'm going to be really nasty to my sister sitting next to me, yeah? Because whatever. Now you have a, you know what, but I don't want to. That's mean. I don't want to be mean to her. I want to be nice to her. You're now changing your manifested desire to be mean, to become good. Because I've just studied in the class this morning, the cause and effect. If I'm mean to her, it's going to affect me later. You know what? I better be nice to her. You're now changing. You're a manifested desire. If the desire is extremely strong, you can't help but act. If the desire is um, of, of not of a strong intensity, you may be able to control it. But that is all dependent on how developed your intellect is to control the mind. Because the desire manifests in the mind. Okay, now it's up to you. Do you want to act on it or not? That depends on the mind or the intellect that you're acting on which is what we're covering next. So let's cover this next topic. I think it might be self-explanatory. Dilemma of choice. Like I said, this is, I'm covering the topics as labeled in here, so you guys can read into more detail. So, humans are constantly seeking peace and happiness in life. In order to achieve this, what must one do? One must develop the intellect and use it to reason and act in the world and make the right choices in life. The mind, we all know how it behaves, and that intellect reasons and thinks. So if you want to find peace and happiness, you need to act based on your intellect. Think and reason, basically, that's all it means. So how do you make a right choice in life? Shall I start a business? Shall I get married? Shall I have kids? Shall I immigrate? Shall I be a Hindu? Shall I be a Muslim? 
Will I be a Christian? Or maybe I'll be an atheist. How do you make those choices? So, we make a choice, a human make, can make a choice and perform an action, yeah, based on either the mind or the intellect or a combination of both. We're going to go into more detail. So when you act, so when you say, I'm going, this desire has manifested of meanness, it's up to you to act on it or not. And that depends on how strong your intellect is or how strong your mind is. The body executes action, but the body cannot act on its own. The actions of the body are driven by either likes and dislikes, feelings, emotions, impulses of the mind, or reason, discretion, judgment of the intellect. Yeah, those are the two components, or a combination of both. So an example. An example of the above three possibilities arising from an action. Is everyone aware, clear here now? You can act based on the mind or the intellect, yeah? Your friend is a diabetic. You offer, they come to your house, you offer them a Coca-Cola, yeah, full of sugar. The, your friend likes Coca-Cola. His mind says, take it. His intellect says, no, I better not. My sugar level will become too high and decides against it. If his intellect is more powerful than his mind, he will refuse it. He will have thought, this isn't good for me. Have you got Coke Zero, sugar-free, he may ask. If his mind is strong and intellect weak, he will take it and drink it. Everyone clear to that? The third possibility is person is not diabetic. His mind and intellect may say no problem and drink it. So if you're diabetic, you have a choice. If your mind and intellect, mind is strong, you'll take it and then deal with the consequences. If your intellect is strong, you'll refuse it. Now if a person is not diabetic, he can say, reason and say, I'm not diabetic, I can drink it. He has no problems, and the intellect says, yeah, drink it. The mind says, okay. I know there's a, the example is of a diabetic and a non-diabetic, but when you have to make a choice, it depends if, it's, if that choice is based on reason or emotions and likes and dislikes. What you like and dislike may be detrimental to you, but if it doesn't cause any issues, then you can have it. So that's when you operate on feelings and emotions rather than reason and judgment. And if you act on likes and dislikes, it will eventually get you into trouble. If you make a choice backed by the reason and judgment of the intellect, then the chances are you make the correct choice for yourself. It may still get you in trouble, but at least use your capacity to think. Then if that's the best you could do. As a human being, that's the best you can do. I have 10% intellect, use 10% of your intellect. Any questions there? Is that, is that reasonably clear? Meghna, please. You look a bit dubious.
would you say that your it's already based on your circumstances, what choices that you're making? What's right for you and what's wrong for you? Only you can make that choice. Because only under, you understand how you function. What's right for you may be wrong for your neighbor, just knowing. What's wrong for you could be right for her. So it's different for different people. So you have to make the decision based on your judgment and what's right and good for you. This is the point we're making. Yeah, we'll go into more further. Now there's a, unfortunately it's not simple as that, even though that's not simple. Sometimes even the reasoning of the intellect, if the mind is very powerful, even the reasoning of the intellect is overpowered by the mind's emotions. And you you're nodding your head. <laughs> Does that make sense? Your mind is so powerful that even you reason, you can't clear. Huh? Yeah. So this is highlighted in a poem. Some of us already covered this poem. It's, it's called a pond, yeah. Some you may have come across it, but it doesn't matter. This, you know, you can read it twenty times. It still has a different meaning. So it's written by an English poet, Jane Taylor, the pond, yeah. She highlights the point where the mind is so powerful, the desire is so strong that it takes the intellect hostage. Yeah? You'll be able to relate to it if you think about it. In life, we have a really strong desire, we will try and fulfill it even if we know it might be wrong for us. We have come through that, we have come across times. We know it's wrong, but we'll still fulfill it. Mind is so powerful. So this poem describes a pond. There's a group of ducks living by the pond, swimming, feeding, having fun. And a young chicken, a young chick with her mother lived nearby and kept watching the ducks go in and out of the water, enjoying themselves. And the chick had a great desire to get in the pond and join them. These guys are having so much fun, I'd like to join in. But the chick's mother had warned the chick not, never to go in the water. So one day when the mother wasn't around, the chick tried to reason with its small chick intellect, why shouldn't I go in the water? I'm so fond of water, why shouldn't I go in? Why is my mom telling me not to go in? So the chick arrives at a strange conclusion that the only difference between the ducks and me is the shape of the beaks. My beak is pointed and the ducks is round. Surely that can't make me drown. So the ch chick follows the mind's strong desire and her weak intellect and thinks she can swim as well. So she plunged into water only to find her mother's cautions were true. She sank to the bottom and died. What is the difference between a chick and a duck? Why can a duck swim and a chick not? Correct, Shilpa. The duck has web feet, the chick doesn't, so he can't swim. So whoever's got the book, can, it's in the poems, we're going to read it. It's not a very long poem. 
truth. You can have this in Shilpa. I got it on my. Everyone got it? And the poem soon. It might be different in different books, you know that, different prints. Yeah? Okay. The Pond by Jane Taylor. There was a round pond and a pretty pond too. About it white daisies and violets grew. And dark weeping willows that stood to the ground. Dipped in their long branches and shaded it round. A party of ducks to this pond would repair to feast on the green water weeds that grew there. Indeed, the assembly would frequently meet to discuss their affairs in this pleasant retreat. Now the subjects on which they were won't to converse. I'm sorry I cannot include in verse. For though I've oft listened in hopes of discerning, I own tis a matter that baffles my learning. Basically doesn't understand what they're saying. One day a young chicken that lived thereabout stood watching to see the ducks pass in and out. Now standing tail upward, now diving below, she thought of all things she should like to do so. So the poor silly chick was determined to try. She thought twas as easy to swim as to fly. Though her mother had told her she must not go near, she foolishly thought there was nothing to fear. My feet, wings and feathers, for aught that I see, as good as the ducks, are for swimming, said she, though my beak is pointed as their beaks are round, is there any reason that I should be drowned? Why should I not swim, then as well as a duck? I think I shall venture and try my luck. For, said she, spite of all that her mother had taught her, I'm re really remarkably fond of water. So in this poor ignorant animal flew, but soon found her dear mother's cautions were true. She splashed and she dashed, and she turned herself round, and heartily wished herself safe on the ground. But now it was too late to begin to repent. The harder she struggled, the deeper she went. And when every effort had vainly been tried, she slowly sunk down to the bottom and died. The ducks, I perceived, began loudly to quack when they saw the poor fowl floating dead on its back. And by their grave gestures and looks twas apparent, they discoursed on the sin of not minding a parent. The poem depicts the intellect being held hostage by the overpowering emotion of the mind. The intellect yields to the pressure of emotions and reasons in a circle. My beak is pointed, theirs is round. What's the difference? And one meets the fate of the chick. So who's the mother? Who, in our personality, who's the mother? The intellect. And who's the chick? The mind. the mind. So, that's what happened to the chick. That's what happens if you don't think. So the intellect surrenders to the... Because the intellect isn't strong enough. And, you know, Ravi, as you said, if the desire is so powerful, the intellect has no chance. If it's a weaker desire whatever intellect you have, you can say, you know what, I don't need that. Walk away. You know, but if it's something really, 
powerful and you have a strong desire for that, then it's difficult. And you have to surrender. There's nothing you can do. So if we analyze, when we have a strong desire to buy something or go somewhere or experience something new, we start thinking, should I get this or not? Shall I go there or not? But our thinking is not independent. It is actually pushed by the mind's desire to fulfill it. So we say the mind has taken the intellect hostage, just like the chick. So then what happened to the chick? Next time you think about it, when you have a strong desire. Shakespeare's plays, if you look, if whoever's read, read Shakespeare or seen the movies, they're all based on where the mind makes the decisions, okay? Every one of his plays, one particular aspect of uh, um, the mind's nature is portrayed. For example, King Lear, flattery. Othello, jealousy. Romeo and Juliet, passion, attachment. In all of his plays, end up, a person ends up dying. To portray what happens when you don't think and you just follow the mind. You think about it, next time you see any Shakespeare movies, they all end up in death. This is what he's trying to portray. So we have to understand that we have a limited intellect. So we're very fortunate, by the way, even though we have a limited intellect, we're very fortunate. We are given a direction and knowledge on how to live life. Where does this direction come from? Society. Those are laws laid down by man. You have to follow them. Knowledge. knowledge. Scriptures. The scriptures. Knowledge from the scriptures. Stories. You know how in the Indian, in our Indian Purana stories, they, they, you know when you're kids, they tell us stories, but really they all have a meaning. You shouldn't do this, shouldn't do that. This is what happens, you know, our parents to tell us. Lives of great men, Rama, Krishna, these are all to teach us how to live life. They've lived it and they've laid it down. This is how you should live life. If we follow the guidance, then we can live a life like them, without agitations. It's all laid down. We just have to understand, learn, and live our lives based on that. Man-made laws are there, yes. We live, whichever country we live in, we have to follow those laws, and they're different in different countries. That's laws by society, but laws on how to act within and how to behave, not to be mean or you know, not to be selfish. All these things are laid down in our scriptures. That's why we're so fortunate. But we need the ability to follow them. We need the ability to understand them. We ignore the advice. We ignore the advice, I know better. And then we suffer in life by making wrong decisions. Ignoring the laws of cause and effect, because we're ignorant of the laws of cause and effect. I didn't realize, I didn't even hear, hear the term cause and effect until I came across this subject. That what I do today will affect my future. Never knew that.
but it works in like a scientific law. Immaculately. So we're quite fortunate. We're learning this knowledge from the scriptures every Sunday morning. Look, 9.30 today, one hour forward, everyone's still here. I thought me and Sil always said we would be the only ones. Why are you putting out all these forms? Everyone is here. <laughs> we have an opportunity to develop the intellect. There's only one thing left which only you can do, which is you have the knowledge, you understand the value of it, there's only one thing which you have to do, which I can't do for you. What is that? Put in the right effort. At least try it for a few weeks. You go to the gym, you do weights, you build muscles. So why not put in the effort to build intellect? Why not? The reason is because you haven't experienced how a strong intellect can help you. You understand when you build muscles, you can lift more weights. You can physically see that it's affecting the, how your body is sculpturing. But you don't know how a strong intellect can help you. It's the unknown. And it's unknown because it's subtle. You can't see it, you can't feel it. So unless you try it and see the effect it has, and the effect it will have on you, I'll tell you, it's quite straightforward. The effect it will have on you is that when your mind says, I want this, or I want to go here, or I want that, or I want to eat this, the intellect will kick in and say, I don't think we should do that today. I don't think we should go there today. I don't think I need that. That's how it will work. Right now, we haven't experienced that. But you're basically, you'll be more in control of your personality. You'll be able to, you, you, you'll be able to control your likes and dislikes. Everyone has an area where the likes are very strong and the dislikes very strong. I don't like Karela. I don't like Ringan, you know, even though it might be good for you. <laughs> so intellect will kick in and say, you know what, I've got to eat that. I need the vitamins. It's not good for me. It's not nice, but I need to eat it for my for my for my uh, body. That's the difference. That's what the intellect will do. And when you do that, you're happier, less agitations, less desires to deal with. You can see the benefit of it. Try it. Only if the intellect decides it. <laughs> if the intellect says, I need to do this instead of that, then you do it. Not because I said it, because you're, you thought about it. Why is Garela better for me than crisps? And when you think about it and think Garela is better for me because it's got less fat, it's not fried, it's not this, and it's a green vegetable, crisps are like this, that, the other, then you can say, Karela is better for me than crisps, and then you will do it. Exactly. Until you make that, until you evaluate, think about it, only then you will make that decision. Otherwise, just the mind saying, yeah, I think I should eat that.
But when the, ti- when the time comes, it actually doesn't happen unless you thought about it. And this is why we have to think about everything we do in life. Otherwise, we're just reacting. The mind's just reacting. So the last topic in this, it's a very short topic. It's called the herd instinct. And it says, people no longer think and reason before making a decision in life due to a weak intellect. Instead, they follow a herd instinct. This is what we're doing. We're following the herd instinct. From education right up to religion, job, marriage, children, we all follow the pattern of our peers, our parents, society. We do everything everyone else is doing rather than thinking, is this right for me? We're not putting any thought into it. The whole country can be doing one thing. That doesn't mean it's right. We have to think, is this right for me? And then do it. As you said, Joshnabin, Karela, is this right for me? It may not be right for you. But everyone else is saying, what's the buzz thing at the moment? Vitamins or uh, if you eat turmeric. Buzzword is turmeric. Everybody who eats turmeric, you know, is this health benefit? You have to ask, is this right for me? Even in Starbucks, they're putting turmeric in the coffees, I think. Mm. Is it right for me? Just because everyone do it doesn't make it right. We have to think. So, from marriage, is marriage right for me? Should I get married or not? I'm not going to go into it, but whoever's got the book, follow him. It gives you six reasons. If you uh, satisfy those six reasons for marriage, then you should get married. If you don't, then you shouldn't get married, it says in there. So if you go through those six reasons, they're explained in quite detail. Okay, Have a read because it's very, very interesting. I'm not going to cover it in the class, but I'll read it. It says in there. Yeah, herd in, under herd instinct. It's the last, last bit of the herd instinct. It gives you six reasons for marriage. Because we all, we all, we become what? We all go to school because our parents said go to school, everyone goes to school. Nothing wrong with that. We then go to college. Our parents say become a doctor, become an engineer, become, we follow that. We don't think, maybe I don't want to become that. Okay? Parents say we do it. Society says that person earns most more money than a person doing this. But it may not be right for you. Then... Okay, I'm 25, I need to look for a partner. Let me get married. Why? All my friends are getting married. I should get married as well. Is it right for me? I think. I think I'll have one boy and one girl because everyone that's the right combination. If my friend's got a boy and a girl, that's the next step. Should I have kids? Think about it. So they're saying don't follow the herd. Think for yourself. See, in the animal, uh, with animals, the strong goes on his own. The lion, the tiger, the eagle flies on their own. All the mild and meek animals like lamb, sheep, they're all together. They can't think of it. They follow the herd instinct. So as humans, we have a habit of following the herd. Think for ourselves. Is this right for me? Should I be doing this? If the intellect says, yeah, it's right for you, you should get married, you should have four kids, then have four kids. 
So we don't make, we don't think before we make decisions in life due to a weak intellect. Instead, we follow the herd instinct. We do what other, others tell us to do and what others are doing without thinking, is it right for me? This is because we don't have individual intellectual strength to make our own decisions. We like being part of the herd. We don't want to be different. Be a tiger, roam on your own. Take control of your own personality. Don't go by what other people say. In fact, the herd instinct is devastating humanity. People have lost the ability to think they would follow the herd then strengthen the intellect. This has caused all the problems in the world. Killings, terrorism, but still people haven't understood and have ignorantly carried on with the herd instinct. You know, all this uh, in, the, in the Muslim religion, it's all herd instinct. Nobody even, nobody even thinks, am I doing the right thing? I'll join ISIS. Why? Okay, I believe what they do. Let's go and join them. They start killing. Have they thought about it? Is it right to follow them? No, they just go because they've seen a YouTube video or there's some, you know, a coercion. The thinking is not there. So we're, we're all doing that. It's devastating our, our, our lives. This is what he's saying. We get, we get married because it's the right thing to do based on society, family. 45 to 50% of all marriages in the West fail. Because it's not the right decision. Or you haven't chosen the right partner. It's a fact. Think for yourself. If your intellect says this is right, then do it. Now, that doesn't mean that in areas where you have no understanding, you should follow what's right, what your intellect says, because it may be a situation where, let's say you've got a medical problem. You don't know nothing about medicine. You can't say, okay, I'm gonna do this. You need to surrender to someone who knows medicine. You have a problem with law. You have to surrender to a lawyer. That's the intellect saying, you know what? I need to go and see a lawyer. You can't follow your own advice if you don't have the capacity to. But even to say, I need to go and see a lawyer, that is the intellect saying, you know what? I don't know nothing about this. I need to consult someone. I've got a lump on my, I don't know what that is. Let me just go and see a doctor. So in the area of ignorance, surrender. But wherever in the capacity you can think, you owe it to yourself to think. Any questions? That was chapter three, by the way, that we've covered today. So whoever wants to go over it. And chapter four, I'm sorry, but these classes are a bit bleak. The mind wreaks havoc is the next chapter next week. <laughs> but you know what? We have to understand how we function to be able to control our desires. As Sittle said, how do we control our desires? How do we control them? We don't know how we function. This is the kind of understanding we need to be able to conduct our lives in a proper manner. Right now, we don't know our tendencies. Why do, we do, why do I do that? How many times we do things and we regret it? 
because we haven't thought about it. I said, let's have no regrets. The power is within you. So whoever has a book, please study it, what we've covered today in the morning, when you wake up, 10, 15 minutes. Just read a small topic, think about it, and slowly you'll see your lives changing. You'll be in control of your personality. You won't let your mind make the decisions for you. You will make the decisions for yourself. Not the chick. The chick's not going to make any decisions. The mother's going to make the decisions. Right, before you all fall asleep. <laughs> any questions? If you have questions, if you, whoever's reading, the, if you have any questions, please ask them next week. Um, are you okay with the way we're covering it rather than reading it? Is it, is it okay? Magna, you normally read, so <laughs> I'm sure you. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I try. I try to give a, cover all the main top, main main points. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>